Hello, friends, and welcome to the Epic Human Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Blair, and thanks for listening today. Today's guest is Eric Anderson, a principal at Scale Venture Partners, a Bay Area venture firm that specializes in enterprise SaaS developer tools and infrastructure. Eric is a former product manager at both Google and Amazon, a former engineer with GE's rotational leadership program, and a lifelong entrepreneur. Eric founded DocPro, the Uber for office work, which he currently runs and can be found at docpro.app. He's also a dedicated family man as the father of four fantastic children. In this episode, Eric shares his unique experiences growing up as one of six siblings, discovering his passion for science and making things as a kid, facilitating union conflicts as a young engineer, breaking into the world of cloud computing with some of the largest tech titans of Silicon Valley, and eventually transitioning to a career in venture capital. Eric is my classmate from Harvard Business School, also known as HBS, and we've known each other for about seven years. He has a powerful intellect, strong ethics, and a positive creative attitude. He's the type of person you want your kids to be around and emulate. I feel grateful to Eric, uh, to call Eric a friend, and I feel even more grateful to him for joining me on the podcast. So without further delay, please give it up for an epic human, Eric Anderson. Okay, we are live with Eric Anderson, principal here at Scale Venture Partners. Is that right? Scale yeah. Venture Partners. Thanks for having me over here in Foster City. Oh, yeah. It's a, thanks for coming. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, so you and I met uh, at HBS about five, well, I guess seven years ago. Um, and I, I remember you fondly because I felt like we had a lot in common. I'm not sure if you felt this way. Yeah. But, you know, we both... Uh, you know, had come from big manufacturing companies and like rotational programs and whatnot. That's right. We were both married, right? right? And you, you of course, had, had your son and, and we were pre-kids, but we were both married. So kind of like, you know, not, not in the whole party universe of, of HBS. Um, and I also felt like we were both like more of the down-to-earth people. Um, I mean, there were a lot of down-to-earth, mostly down-to-earth people at HBS, but um, I felt that way. And I also remember you gave me some of the best parenting advice that I've ever had. And you might recall, this was like right at the end of our, of our two years. And I came to you and basically saying, you know, I need some parenting advice. I'm going to have a, a baby soon. Uh, and do you remember what you said? I don't actually. <laughs> okay. I hope it was profound. No, it was great. Uh, it was great because at the time I, I didn't appreciate it, but after I had kids, I really appreciate it. You basically said, you should um, you should go with your wife and and go to a movie and maybe to dinner out to dinner yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you're not going to get to do no. that so often yeah and at the time I'm like what what kind of advice is this and then now that I have kids I'm like oh yeah I wish I'd done more of that <laughs> and now with Thirdash and Netflix like we pretend we don't even need that anymore it's, I, 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 it's true it's but, true yeah so I miss the real movies yeah and the real dinner I know as do I. Um, well, thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, I'm excited to uh, get into it with you today and, and talk about you know your, your role here at Scale um, and, and all about you. But first, uh, as we do uh, at, on the Epic Human Podcast, we'd like to just start with your origin story. Um, and so we'd like to just start with where did you grow up? Tell me about like your, your upbringing and your family. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, I... I mean, I fairly, I probably fit a lot of stereotypes for Salt Lake City. I, 
uh, came from Mormon heritage, so, you know, pioneer like European ancestry, crossed the plains mm. uh, from from the eastern United States or, or or by boat, and settled in what was then, uh, you know, Wild West territorial United States, mm. um, and uh, along the street, I came from a big family, so I was the third of six kids. Um, let's see. Brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, it was uh, three boys, three girls. Okay, and um, you were? The third boy. So, uh, <laughs> girl, boy, me. Okay. Um, and then boy, girl, girl. Cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, what were you, and what were you like as a kid? What was I like? Um, so, I was probably uh, nerdy, uh, kind of. Uh, I was really into to science. Like I had this... Yeah, you know, everyone. I don't know if everyone had one, but I had like the crystal radio set. I was super fond of. Mm. You could like, make your own radio. Oh, um, neat. Yeah, you like wrap wires around like um, a pipe, and like, like I was like I think it was underneath the the sink hmm. um, in the bathroom, and you can like get radio frequencies. Oh. Uh, I had this thing called Capsella. I, I, like, there were other more popular sets like constructor sets or like Lego stuff. Yeah. But I was into this thing called Capsella. Capsella. That's Cap- a radio. No, no. This is just like a normal like oh, toy this? where you like make, uh, like, uh, you can make like a car or a boat or okay. a flashlight. You kind of like modular pieces. And this battery was one of them. A motor was one of them. Cool. Um, I still have actually. I, th- I think I have it in storage. Like I was like, I'm. This thing's like part of me now. Like Capsule was like my thing. It's that uh, important. Yeah, it's that <laughs> yeah. important. Um, yeah, some people have baseball cards. I, mm. I have this set at home. Uh, so that I may, maybe a, one more anecdote on that. I my parents gave me. So I don't know when this was. Hale Bop. Have you heard of this comment called Hale Bop? Yeah. So when we were kids, presumably. There was this comet came by Earth for the first time. Right. I was way into like how it's disco- how it, yeah. I, I read all the newspaper about it. there was this guy named Hale and a guy named Pop Bop and they both discovered it independently. Oh. And I had <laughs> pictures right? of Hale Bop on my walls. My parents got me a <laughs> telescope, so I was really into astronomy for a, a bit. Um, and anyway, so that's a cool. little bit about. And and what um, what were the values you grew up with? Like what what were, what did your what did you get from your parents that you still kind of stay with you today? Oh, that's interesting. My dad was a big reader, hmm. and uh, and he was a really good listener. And I think, and I, I basically just believed he knew everything. Um, and so I'd go to him with like questions and ideas, and he would just hear me out, mm-hmm. and he would always like kind of direct me to learn more, like, uh, how I could learn more thing, ways. And so I, th- I think um, uh, I, I was instilled with this, like, desire to learn, this, like, kind of confidence that I could learn, um, and, and a great sounding board to, like, for things. Hmm. Um, that was a fairly, fairly powerful kind of memory of, of my parents. And, and what... What's it like being a kid in a family of with six kids? You know, I mean, I mean, I know, I know it's probably hard to contrast because you don't have the right, other side. Right, it's but very normal. It's a high, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, is it is it was it hard to find your identity? Is it, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. Uh, I certainly your siblings play a role. Like, it's not just like 
what your parents taught you. It's right. in part what your siblings teach you. Right. I mean, they're, they're as influential as anything. Um, I think I can imagine it's hard for some to find identity. I think uh, maybe going back to the the telescope thing. Yeah. There, there were. Um, I, I had this like fairly vivid memory of being out there on my own on the back porch, looking at. This was a very rudimentary telescope. Um, <laughs> like it did, all, you, all you could see was Jupiter and Saturn. Um, you know, you could see Mars and Venus, but they don't look like anything. They're just like white circles, okay. very small. But you could see Jupiter's moons. You could see Saturn's rings. Okay, that, that was it. All right. Um, and I remember it was really difficult to get them in the viewfinder. And I, when I would find them, I'd be so excited, I'd be mm. like elated. Yeah. And I, I, I look around and realize I'm all by myself, and there's kind of no one to like share this with <laughs> and and it, it, there's a there's a, like a tinge of maybe loneliness in that memory but a whole lot of like I was like you know what I, I could see my I could hear my siblings inside and I think I realized like they're not really into this like I could go pull them out I, I probably did show yeah, them yeah and they're like oh, that's yeah. cool and they go back in right I, I think it, in moments like that I was like okay I'm my own person like yeah this is my this thing. is cool right. I like this right and no one really gets it and that's okay yeah um so, so maybe it helps you kind of forge an identity in that like you're surrounded by these seemingly identical peers and um, rather than, and in, in that process you kind of sift out who you are. I don't know. Sure, sure. I'm always curious about like sibling dynamics because right. you always wonder like the younger ones as they look at what the older ones are doing, sometimes they're attracted to what the older ones are doing, sometimes they're... You know, they 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 might be interested, but they're like, no, I want to try my own thing. Yeah. yeah. So I'm. I, it's just a topic I find interesting. I mean, we both have kids now, so we, I'm starting to see that that play out, and it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, on that, I think there was enough distance between me and my older brother where I felt I, I like emulated him, like he was kind of right, bigger, cooler. Everyone knew about mm-hmm. him, <laughs> and so I, I I went to high school and I just played all the same sports he did. Right. Kind of, and I. I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it kind of aspired. And I think there were others in my family that were closer in age. And I think it, it then, yeah, I think, you know, there was a little more maybe, com- not competition is not the right word, but seeking to kind of differentiate yourself because yeah. they were maybe similar in age. Right, right, right. Um, so tell us more about high school. So you're into sports. What sports, tell, like what, what, yeah, what, the, what uh, subjects interested you? Uh, yeah, so sports, uh, I, I played football, and then I wrestled in the winter. I, no one really does that anymore, I understand, but I loved it. And mm. then I played rugby in the spring, which is kind of unique to my high school. Mm. I don't think rugby's all that common. Rugby, yeah. Um, uh, but, but they kind of reinforce, there's a lot of head bashing, kind of reinforce each other. <laughs> uh, academically, um, you know, I was, I was a good enough student uh, I, I was, I'm kind of like driven by uh, shiny objects. I get, I get excited about things and I'm really motivated to do them. Hmm. And so for some of my classes I would get into them. But if I wasn't into things, it was hard for me to, I, would, I was always I like, oh, that seems like busy work, I'll just. <laughs> uh, so I was never great about homework, um, but there was enough kind of in general interest in learning that I, I was able to get by on, on tests and, and such. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was more of the same math and science. Mm-hmm. Um, enough math to do the science. Math was never all that intrinsically interesting. Mm. Um, cool. Yeah. And and how did that inform your like your interest in college and and you know where'd you go to college and all that? It's funny during my senior year, my one of my best friends 
when we were graduating, we were talking about what we would do in college. And he was like, I think I want to become an electrical engineer and I'm going to research like, uh, what was it? It was, um, he had like a specific topic he wanted. And I, w I was just blown away. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, analog to digital conversion. Like he wanted to make that more efficient. Wow. I was like, so, so no, I think I was like, engineering was like a new idea still to yeah. me. And I was like, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll study engineering. And I wasn't even sure what, that there were different kinds, what kinds yeah. um, that all kind of played out in college. Yeah. That's funny, I had a very similar experience. Yeah. I actually signed up um, uh, for math because I was like, yeah. I guess I like math. I'm gonna right. sign up for a yeah. math yeah. major. Right. And then um, the summer before I started my freshman year, I met this guy who was an engineer and he's like, oh, you should try engineering. It's like, just, it's like math, but more fun. And, yeah. and uh, you get to build stuff. And yeah. I was like, oh, maybe I will try that. So I, I, I just called the school. I said, I'd like to switch to an engineering major. They're like, click, 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 done. Okay, see you, see you in September. Similarly, um, I, I met a mechanical engineer who I grew close with. He hired me to do some work. I liked him and thought he was interested. And so I, I, I declared mechanical engineering. Yeah. I, I, it's funny how maybe ill-informed we are. <laughs> Totally. In, the, in these fairly significant pursuits. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and so then just tell us more about college, kind of like how, how did that go? How, you know, tell us about yeah. mechanical engineering. Yeah, so it actually, I got a, um, you know, I, so growing up in a family, I paid my own way through college, so I, I had to do summer work. Um, wow. And I, I basically showed up without any money. So uh, I had a, a scholarship to the metallurgical uh uh, engineering department. I was like material science for metals. There okay. was like there was like six people <laughs> studying this, and uh, so I took it. And uh, I was basically doing generals. And then quickly, I was like, oh, I should do something that's a little more broad. And um, went into mechanical, which seemed broad. And people I knew who were interesting had done it. Um, yeah. And how did you? How did wait? How did you? Um like end up with that scholarship and did you lose the scholarship because you did this? Yeah, so I, I could keep the scholarship as long as I was on track towards metallurgy. And in the first year or two, I think I did maybe a year and a half or two years, uh, was was kind of more or less the same. Mm -hmm. And then I, I could see in year, you know, the like fourth semester that I was like, oh, I have to take, I mean, I, I did take like um, uh, a whole course on aluminum alloys or uh, yeah, I think it was aluminum alloys. Um, <laughs> And, and I quickly was like, I think this is too too narrow, too quick. Mm. Like I have, I, you know, I'm not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Yeah. And it may not have to do with aluminum alloys. Yeah. Uh, and so that, so I ditched the scholarship at that point. I had some other, um, I had like a, a bit of general scholarship money. Yeah. But but how'd you get started in the in the metallurgy? Oh thing? no, they they sent me. Uh, it was kind of like recruiting. Like they were looking. Uh, I'm trying to think how like, I we gotta fulfill express this. some interest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they had some money to spend on people. <laughs> right. Um, so they I had some metallurgy scholarship money burning a hole in their pocket. Yeah. yeah. So they, they were kind of like recruiting people to apply, and I applied. And I think as long as you like, had some fairly good, you know, math science grades, uh, warm body. Cool. You could get scholarship. Very cool. Wow. You paid your own way. That is. Uh, that is rare, and it's be probably becoming more rare. Yeah, yeah, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> not possible wow. anymore. Nice. Okay, so so you graduated, and you're like, okay, what do I what do I do with my career? Like, what do I want to do for my first job? And what did you, how, how did that un unfold? Yeah. So, I, it, um, uh, after declaring mechanical, I think in my junior year, I 
I, I'd done some internships, and some of the engineering jobs looked like a pretty, uh, aspects of them were kind of boring. Like they, they seemed like you were kind of an expert on a certain widget. I, I interned in a place where I was just in a cube kind of designing things, and um, it didn't seem to have the kind of creative energy, new ideas thing I was looking for. Uh, a friend of mine told me, he's like, you should just like, he's like, a lot of engineers go into like, I don't know who, uh, business consulting, he was telling me I should look at. Mm. Um, I, I had no idea what this was, like management consulting. Um, but it's like a smart thing, a thing that smart people do apparently at school. Uh, and conversation around that led me to learn that there was this uh, way to apply to, to Harvard early. So oh. I did the two plus two application. Oh, you did that. Okay. And I was admitted as a junior. Okay. And I think that kind of like helped me feel like I could kind of veer out of maybe traditional engineering mm. jobs out of school. And maybe explain two plus two because yeah, I, I know what it is. But yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, there's more of this now, but you can apply to graduate school at before you leave undergrad. Right. And. Um, with the intent to work. So two years of working and then two years of school was kind gotcha. of the idea. Gotcha. So, uh, so I was admitted uh, kind of before graduating. Wow. Three years in advance. And then I had to go find a job for two years. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and my understanding is sometimes, sometimes it's easy to get a job, but sometimes there's, there's kind of a, a harder part of it because your employer knows you're going to be leaving in two years. Did you have any trouble with that or yeah did you have to deal yeah with that anyway? the, the that the two plus two did not help me get a job I mean I <laughs> uh, it, 2009 also didn't help me get a job right so <laughs> it was not a great market and then um, I I told a few employers and they were kind of confused by it right I think particularly for um, the job like engineering jobs I think if you went and told a, a consulting firm you were leaving they'd be fine yeah but, right uh, so I, I got a job at GE a friend referred me. It was a super exciting program, but they didn't know anything about my gotcha, gotcha. my plans for business school, which I felt okay with because it wasn't even clear that it was still kind of on maybe I wouldn't go kind of thing. Sure, right. sure, right. Good option though. Yeah. And so this was a rotational program. Yeah, it was called uh, OMLP Operations Management Leadership Program, mm -hmm. uh, supply chain, um, and fairly like I, I wore steel toes, safety glasses. You know, factory, real work. Yeah. And, and where were you living, and, and kind of, what were you? Was it like multiple rotations, di moving different places, or was it you stay in the same place and do different things? Yeah, so it was six months, uh, an assignment. Assignments typically required you to move. So I was in Cincinnati, then Boston, uh, Research Triangle, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and then Connecticut. Mm. Uh, one of the maybe the most interesting one, Boston. I was uh, a union supervisor. So I, I wasn't in the union, notably. Right. But um, like uh, they, they all, all, the union workers had to check in with me at shift, receive assignments, and I kind of represented the GE to them. The man. Right. The man. <laughs> <laughs> I was the man. Uh, uh, anyway. Yeah. What was that like? Well, so, so the at first it scared me to death. Mm. Uh, I had never worked with. Um, angry old people and people <laughs> east coast people let alone like uh but east coast people are generally angry yeah maybe <laughs> more so than west maybe um but i think i quickly realized kind of not maybe not quickly but eventually i realized what was 
some of what was going on. So there was this union steward, and he would just yell at me all the time, uh, seemingly for like strange things. And eventually, I wised up to the fact that his job is to like give me a hard time. Oh, like, okay. Like if I'm if the man isn't being given a hard time, why do we need a steward? Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Or okay. or the union. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the union has to continue to put, and. Um, as soon as I kind of like realized some of these kind of dynamics, I was like, all right, I should just basically take his lickings, you know. Um, and then and then there was opportunity, as long as I played that role, to then, uh, they would give and I would give kind of thing. There was a compromise. Okay. So if I needed to get work done, I could go to the steward and be like, um, look, like these parts aren't moving fast enough, uh, which is fine, I suppose, whatever. You're, you're Everyone's working as hard as they can, but these ones are more important. So like, let's... Can, can we like shuffle the deck and put these in, put these in front? And uh, you know he'd gruff and grumble, but I think he understood. Also, I imagine there was kind of this um, acknowledgement. It seemed where you know if if uh, he he does my favors, then I I, I can take his um, kind of verbal uh, public beratement, <laughs> and, and we all move on. Everybody everybody wins. <laughs> You guys found like an equilibrium point. Yeah, nice yeah. Push and pull. I, I, I found peace with the union. That's cool. I I, I had a similar experience um, in North Carolina when I was. I'm sorry, North Dakota. Okay. When I was working at Bobcat, I was working on the manufacturing line, and I my project was to bring a a a union build like a union assembly line to a non-union plant oh yeah yeah okay so i was pretty popular uh, yeah exactly um, and i remember like and, and this is my first job out of school right and so i'm i don't know 23 or 22 whatever i was and i'm talking to like the foreman and i'm like okay we just gotta like pack up all this stuff <laughs> and uh and this guy he's like if you make me do this i'm i'm leaving like i'm you know, I'm, I'm leaving for the day. And I was like, well, we, we have to do it. <laughs> you know, like, this is my job. And, uh, and he was like, fine. And he like ripped off his apron, you know, took off his gloves. He threw them down and he like made this big scene and like yeah. walked out the door. And I was like sweating bullets. Um, and then like the foreman guy came over and he was like, ah, don't worry about that. He does that all the time. <laughs> Great. And, uh, but, but it was, I mean, it is it is complicated. The whole union non-union thing. Um, it's hard to know where the right balance point is because <clears throat> I used to. I think I used to be more, you know, anti-union. Used to think that like unions were kind of had too much power yeah. and like were making things cost more and and and, and or you know, or things like that. Um, but I think I've come around um, just the just because of everything we've seen with globalization and like jobs being shipped. To other places and, and just this continual, you know, and, and how that has an effect on communities, yeah. um, especially kind of communities that are not like right around urban centers. Um, so I'm starting to think that like they do have real value um, in some situations. But did you have any thoughts like based on that experience? No, I I, I agree with you. I think I, I grew up in um, like Utah is a fairly red state mm -hmm. and uh so I, I think I, I also have came into that experience with a fairly uh, like a non like a, uh, yeah less of a union bias yeah, yeah. but but I've, I've similarly wised up to the fact that there, there's a role to play for um, labor to, to be organized and kind of have right labor rights yeah. and um, I also felt like uh, I 
we, we developed a fairly am, amicable relationship there. Mm. Like, uh, you know, I joke, joking aside with the steward, uh, union steward, we got work done. Um, and, and we were friends and we were, we talked about our kids. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was great. Yeah. No, I, th- I think you're right. I think, you know, finding that balance is, is really important. Um, as far as I understand, uh, in North Dakota, there there was not uh, as good of a uh, final situation. I, I think um, another company came and bought the, the Bobcat company, and as far as I know, a lot of the manufacturing was actually uh, taken out of that yeah. area. And um, I haven't been back there since, but I, I imagine it's it's had a really, you know, it's been really challenging for a lot of the people who had worked there for 20, 30 years. Yeah. So, um, it's tough, but so anyway, so so you did the two two years at right, GE two years and then GE. HBS. Yep. What what did you think of like what was your first reaction of HBS? What were your first like two weeks like? Well, so the the lawn the lawns are incredible. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe that's not what we're, what we're here to talk about, but like the campus is uh, amazing. Um, my first two weeks, uh, I think I felt fairly intimidated and or. Um, you know, there's there's this uh, imposter syndrome. I don't even know what that means, but like, mm-hmm. there's this concern that you're you're not going to measure up, right? Sure. And, um, I I didn't think I really uh, merited going to <laughs> to any fancy school, um, and HBS seemed pretty fancy. At least the lawn looked really fancy. Mm. So, yeah. So I think uh, um, I I had to warm up to the idea of that I could contribute something meaningful to the class, and 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 yeah, figure out where this fit with my identity and future and all that. Yeah, no, I, I I mean I was gonna say something very similar. Um, I was terrified. Yeah. Uh, I was for, for like number one of the academics because yeah. I you know like you being an engineer I'm like oh, oh no all this finance stuff it sounds complicated. Um, and then uh, and then just like being around such a. I don't know, accomplished group of people, like definitely feeling like, well, I'm not sure I really belong yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but I was pleasantly surprised in that I thought the quality of the person, like of the, not, not necessarily like the academic or whatever, but the, the individual um, person was, was pretty high. Like I, I, I worried that it was gonna be a lot of people who were like super arrogant and whatnot, but I, I found that to be, you know, super atypical and I thought most people were outstanding human beings um and so uh so anyway you're an engineer you're at hbs uh and then you start thinking about the whole like internet tech world right i mean like t- tell me about like your pat your how you're thinking about your career change from like when you started hbs like what your intention was versus like how it evolved and where you eventually ended up yeah so um it's worth uh Maybe mentioning so I back when I was doing the mechanical engineer, applying to HBS. Yeah, uh, uh, I was involved in this startup is not the right word, but this this small business that my brother-in-law was starting, making bikes. Oh, yeah. So he he used to make like electric scooters. Mm-hmm. Um, before they were a thing in San Francisco. Oh, I think yeah. I remember this. Okay. And, yeah. And uh, he had this idea of making this elongated bike with a bucket on the back for yes. carrying kids and cargo and stuff. Um, but he needed someone to design to, to like, like draw the, uh, this in CAD and do some other kind of real. He, he wasn't much of like a math 
engineer, more of a, a builder, mm-hmm. um, do-it-yourself type. Yeah, so I um, I worked for him for my junior year, and uh, it was basically just the two. I mean, the company was just the two of us. Uh, we and I worked with Chinese engineers to like get this design uh, real, and, and it was crazy to see like bikes show up that like looked like the thing that we had drawn. <laughs> uh, and and uh, it lives on today. You can look, Madsen Cycles is the name of the company. What's it called? Madsen. Uh, his last name, M-A-D-S-E-N. Okay, Cycles. Madison Cycles, yeah. Uh, and he's selling, you know, plenty of bikes to to cover his kind of costs. And, that's great. And, uh, so that's his full-time gig. And I think that, the, through that, I, I left that experience being like, no, I don't, like, I can either do normal widget building in a cubicle engineering, or I can do this kind of like build your own thing. You sure. know, back to Capsella days, I wanted to, like, <laughs> make whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I think I thought that GE would, like, teach me how to make things. Mm. Um, and I think in, in that time, I, I for, for whatever reason, was drawn to software. Mm-hmm. Um, the product life cycles of a jet engine are, like, you know, 50 years. So you, you, you like, design one thing and work on it your whole life right. if you want. Right. Um, where software just seemed a bit more of, again, this kind of iterative, cutting edge, a little faster moving. So I tried to make, um, teach myself how to make mobile apps. That was cool then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was kind of my thing going into HBS was like, I'm going to make, uh, I'll make a, I'll be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. It's all like, use this two years to incubate something. It's nice. kind of a plan. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't get very far. Like I, I made, um, there was a business plan contest. I, I won a few thousand dollars, maybe five or ten, uh, for an idea. Which uh, with some, I had a prototype, so that was super exciting. Which, what, what was that idea again? This was uh, digitizing, um, creating like a digital experience alongside the phone call, mostly oh. for call centers. Oh. So I, I call a call center with a with basically a computer, like a smartphone's yeah. computer. You're and the and the, the call center reps add a computer. Yeah. And yet, everything we do is verbal. Like, if they want me to authenticate, I do it verbally. I state my birth date and who I am. Yeah. Um, like, credit card information happens verbally. Uh, I feel like there should be some kind of data connection, and I should just pass this via my screen. Mm. Um, so I had a little prototype on Android phones that if I call a certain number, instead of seeing the call screen, I could I could intercept the screen and put my own screen up mm. and put anything on it. Mm. Um, and that, that was enough to get me a few thousand bucks and me hooked on like the idea that I could build something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it didn't, I mean, j- just to wrap that idea, yeah. it didn't work on iPhone and it didn't work on CDMA. So like, uh, it didn't work on like three quarters <laughs> of the market. <laughs> uh, so I, I shelved that idea at the time. And so, but you were hunting for startups. We actually, we actually almost worked on a startup together. Do you remember this? So yeah, yeah, we yeah. talked. I don't remember what it was <laughs> we, actually. We, we um, so so a you know kind of a prototypical strategy for HBS students. They always tell you is go across the river, go meet some MIT right. engineers. Yeah, I hung out and, over there. And yeah, and go find you know great technology, and they're looking for you know great business person. And so, I think it was you. I think you were hanging out there, and you were like, "Hey, Joe, you know, because we were both looking at startups or starting our own thing." You said, "Hey, go, Joe, come, come with me." And we went, and I think it was a, it was like two PhDs that were working on 
some way to convert sound to energy. Hundred percent remember this. Yes. And, and we were and we were trying to 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 understand their technology and figure out like business applications for That's right. it. Right. We were gonna put like these panels on freeways yeah and we're like it'll reduce sound and create a little <laughs> bit of energy <laughs> uh, uh, we'll have to we'll have to look those guys up yeah i don't think that went past the first meeting but that was uh that was fun uh i almost forgot about that uh okay and so then and and what did you do in between the two years again so i uh i went to amazon right um, so i was i was a pm on aws spot instances ec2 Mm-hmm. Um, Elastic Compute Cloud, so their their emerging cloud offering, which uh, yeah would define what I would do for like the next five years in some respects, um, and and these things all kind of played into each other. Like I think the only reason I got the Amazon job is because I pitched them on this idea. Like they they were like, so what you know anything interesting you've done? I was like, well, I have this app that half works. <laughs> I keep parlaying these like. Uh, half successful projects into <laughs> other potentially larger half successful things there you go yeah <laughs> and so that means uh when you when we graduated you went you basically had a similar role at google right could you talk about that for yeah a so, bit? so after um right uh my one of my the people i worked with at amazon for the summer disappeared one day and then i discovered they reappeared on linkedin at google mm. um and uh, we had connections from business school to Google. So I was like, hey, th- this looks like, you know, Google's gonna start growing this public cloud business. Maybe it'll rival Amazon's. Plus, everyone wants to work at Google, right? And I was kind of uh, <laughs> brainwashed into the, the thinking that Google was the place to be. It, and um, it largely <laughs> played out, it's wonderful. But I, uh, so I applied through a friend and found a role on the cloud team. Cool. Cool. And so some of us know about the cloud and what it is, but like maybe just tell people a little bit about cloud services and and what that what that means, maybe for people who are less technical. And then also like what what were you doing there? Yeah. 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 So in fact, whenever I tell people I work on cloud, they're like, oh, kind of like Dropbox. Uh, (laughs) Like that's like, yeah, I guess you put your files in the cloud. Uh, Fair enough. But um, similar to the idea of Dropbox is is. Uh, is the idea that um, uh, when when people make websites, they generally write the code for the website on their local laptop, and then they ship that code over to a um, a known server, like one in their basement or at their office, or and, and, and you know if, if you've seen the movie Social Network, mm. um, Mark Zuckerberg, you know runs into the dorm room one day and he's like, I need five more Apache something something servers. You know, this is what people had to do when they made websites. They had to like get hardware in their dorm room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so Amazon uh, slowly released services that basically made it so you didn't always have to get a server first. So at first it was just, I think it was S3 and then later EC2. Um, but the idea that you could uh, hit a button on your laptop and they would make a virtual server for you. You don't. You have no idea where it is, but you have. Um, you your computer would connect to it just like it connected to one in your dorm room, and so you could start pushing your website onto that virtual server, right? Wherever it was, right? And and because it was centralized, the, they were able to drop the cost considerably, and that had a big effect on entrepreneurship in general because it lowered the bar for 
getting started. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, totally. The cost came down, but I think as much as anything, it was the like it was the instantaneous and the flexibility that yeah. like you can get the resources you need in a moment as right. opposed to like in three weeks. Yeah. And and so and then you were there for how long and then and then help us help us uh, understand that that experience and then how you transitioned to here. Yeah, um, I was there for I think more than four years, um, and uh, cloud was a kind of dynamic. Uh, like that that org within Google was kind of undefined new. Um, I actually ended up the way the hiring process worked on the sales team initially, which I, I had come from a product management role at Google, and I kind of thought that's what I wanted, I'm sorry, at Amazon, and I thought that's what I wanted to do at Google, um, and I had never done sales. Uh, so I was like, the, the kind of entrepreneur, in, like the wannabe entrepreneur in me was like, oh, this is great, like I, I needed to learn sales. <laughs> um, and, and that, I quickly transitioned into kind of doing, um, no one was doing growth metrics. We had no we had no visibility on our customer. So I, I kind of dived into this um, technical project to build like a data warehouse for us internally to like capture all these metrics. Mm. Um, maybe the side note between both the AWS decision, I had other choices in Amazon to do and, and here. I think I felt like I wanted to prove, um, I was coming into Silicon Valley and the tech scene as an MBA I felt like I had to prove to people I was an engineer. Like I would, I would meet the engineers and they would kind of dismiss me. I was like, no, no, I'm one of you. <laughs> like, uh, and so I, I was trying to always take on these, like when I went to Amazon, I was like, give me the like toughest, the technical project. And that was, so I ended up on EC2 and then coming to Google, I was like, I'll do the data warehouse thing. Um, mm. And, it, it, and I, I, it played out well, I think, for my career, but I think it was mostly I just, um, I had this chip on my shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, so I, we, anyway, I was using, we were building this data warehouse on an internal product and talking with, I worked with that product team a lot and they eventually pulled me into their product team as a product manager on um, data processing tools mm. uh, because of our experience through that project. And I spent the next two and a half years uh, doing this, like managing this product we called Google Cloud Dataflow. Um, Dataflow was, uh, Google kind of pioneered this approach to computing um, that we talk a lot about now, but distributed computing. Mm -hmm. Now we talk a lot about decentralized computing, but then the idea that just you could run kind of a single process across multiple computers was uh, new, mm. increasingly important and like, complex. And so the, the team that kind of pioneered distributed computing uh, had been working together to improve those systems for like eight years before I joined. So it was kind of an up, it was kind of a strange situation to be, um, kind of a wannabe software engineer leading product for like what you could, is arguably the most technical team at Google, like the mm. the MapReduce team as as the as they call themselves, um, mostly like PhDs. Most of them have been pub widely published as like you know uh, breakthrough engineer software engineering ideas. Uh, so that was kind of an interesting hmm. situation. Was it like a fake it till you make it type of mindset you had? Yeah, I mean, I think, yes. Uh, I, that fake it to make it maybe brings up the connotation that like, um, maybe people get annoyed by you because you have no idea, like, <laughs> kind of just pretending. <laughs> right, right. I, I, I had to be deliberately kind of humble and yeah. um, 
but certainly it was like learn quickly. I mean, sure, uh, sure. yeah, yeah. I, I just I I find it interesting because um, in general I think people see <clears throat> people's uh, people see look at other people and they see their titles or they see their accomplishments and uh. they're like whoa they just got it all together um, and but more often than not if you look just like one level deeper at like that person's actual lived experience it's man, I was terrified or yeah. I wasn't, you know, I didn't deserve to get this role, but I somehow got it because of this person or yeah. this situ crazy situation. So I, I, I always think that's, that's important to point out um, to, to kind of lower the bar, I think, for people and how they're thinking about, you know, their, their, their success or, or whatever they, they're, they're uh, aiming towards. Um, and so you're having a great time. Google is an amazing yeah. place to work. Amazing. And and how and, and it sounds like you were uh, completing a lot of your objectives or, or succeeding at your goals. So what what inspired a, ch a change? Well, <clears throat> you I was supposed to be an entrepreneur, and if you look at my resume, I've been at GE, maybe if you count Amazon, and now Google, like the three largest companies mm. in the world, <laughs> kind of doing line <laughs> management. Uh, I felt a little bit um, like I was. Yeah, betraying some part of myself, sure, uh, or like not being honest with myself. I was, I should just own up to the fact of what I really am. Um, no, I, I, so I felt like maybe that was time. Um, I at the the point I was, you know, at four years within Google, I had, we had shipped Dataflow. I had taken on a new product called Data Prep. We shipped Data Prep. Um, I was feeling like maybe it was time for a new challenge, new thing, and. And I had to come to terms with the fact that, like, if you're going to do a startup, maybe this is about the time to do it. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with um, kind of moonlighting with various infrastructure startups. I'd, I'd spent five years in cloud infrastructure, kind of knew the space, knew um, some interesting teams. And so I was at, like, uh, there was a team that was incubated at the Greylock uh, office, and I spent a lot of time there with mm -hmm. them. Uh, a few other startups. I went through like an interview process with kind of more mature startups. Um, people I worked with at Google were leaving. I was talking about working something with them. And through all of this, uh, I kept running into more VCs who, like they were, they were leading me to companies or kind of I was hanging out in their offices. And, um, you know, the conversation started to emerge like, well, why don't you consider VC? Mm. That, and, uh, and and I from, from that was like the thing to do coming out of business school, but I w always felt like no nah, I wanted I want to build something I want to start this company and so I it was always something I could do later mm -hmm. and so suddenly I was having to reconcile that decision as well like maybe this is uh, an opportune time to do VC yeah and that and that's right around where we I mean connected all, in all the cool people like. Joe Blair did VC, <laughs> you know, anybody who could, could muster it got a great VC job and uh, it was only those of us who couldn't that were considering this much later in our careers. Well, I will take the compliment. Um, <laughs> so, and so, uh, tell, tell us about scale. Tell us about scale, tell us about your role here, what you do. Yeah. Um, I hadn't, I actually don't know that I heard of scale, uh, not that I paid much attention to the 
the, the various firms um, available, but but I was super impressed with them when I met them. I guess a couple things stood out. One, they they actually have like a they seem very thoughtful about how they do their work. They have kind of a methodology where, and I'm sure most firms do, but this it just seemed to really stand out at scale. Where I think a lot of I, I worry that that venture was, you know, a lot of uh, networking or or fluff, really. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, and it seemed to to pan out, and they had done some great deals. Like like they they seem to you know as an investor you want to. Uh, find buy low sell high you want to like find <laughs> undervalued opportunities and scale seemed like these people know what they're doing they're closing good deals and I have never heard of them um, but I was impressed by not only like Box DocuSign great SaaS companies but also I was planning to work more on the infrastructure developer tooling side JFrog Circle CI these, these were data stacks companies I um been working with at Google that we I thought were top notch, mm. so that that was um, exciting. And then I the people were great. Uh, there was a bunch. This is all Joe Blair's basically <laughs> bunch down to earth. No, uh, um, kind of low profile, easy to get along with people. Um, and I think I was wisening up to the fact that uh, a venture firm is a fairly intimate career experience. Mm. At Google, you can just kind of float around, join new teams, very loosey goosey. Uh, but venture firms are fairly wed to each other. Yeah, it's like a family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're in it. You're in it. Uh, yeah, for the long haul. It's not like you just okay. I'll transition to my next project and I'll get a new boss or or whoever. You, you really have to get along with your team, your core team. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I've kind of explained scale, but we do mostly Series A, B, some mm-hmm. C um, investments in traditionally enterprise SaaS and this kind of security and infrastructure developer tooling. Uh, I mean, I th- we've, we've brought in that some. I think we're, we're, as we should, we're kind of always looking at what's the next horizon for opportunity. Um, so lately it's been uh, some, what you might, what some people might call frontier tech, a lot of ro- some robotics, I think mm. three or four robotics companies. Mm. Um, and uh, more into we dabbled in consumer and, and some vertical uh, specific solutions, which we didn't do prior. Gotcha. And, and what is your specific either focus area or kind of some of the, the areas you're, you're hunting in right now? Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I think the, the two I've done the most since being mm-hmm. here have been, uh, I came from a data infrastructure, data engineering land. I still think there's a ton of opportunity um, people aren't satisfied with the, the solutions. Data is only like the data problems only getting kind of worse and more important. Uh, and there's been already there's there's a history of great exits. Like there's a willingness to pay here, and it doesn't seem like the cloud providers are making a huge um, dent there as they have like an app development, for example. Um, so st- still interested there. Um, I came expecting to do a lot of work around Kubernetes ecosystem. I've, I'm sorry, with the kind of app development ecosystem, which has gone through a big transformation of late around uh, an open source project called Kubernetes, and th- which is maybe just um, the latest in the transformations around containers. Uh, so I think most people know that, like, you know, Amazon kind of pioneered this move to public cloud 
for develop for software engineers, and then Docker kind of moved us towards containers, which ran in the public cloud, and then Google lately has has kind of um, the latest iteration in this progress is introduced a project called Kubernetes that orchestrates containers, uh, generally run public cloud, and uh, and it has the whole industry. And by basically all enterprises, I think, are now considering replatforming stuff that they haven't touched for a long time to kind of modernizing it. Like, if I'm going to bring it to the cloud, I might as well bring it on into containers and run it on Kubernetes. Hmm. Uh, so I think there's a big opportunity to, to, for startups to capture, to create a lot of value in this transition for enterprises. Um, th that's kind of, I think, where I planned on spending my time and where I spent maybe half of it. Um, I've also spent a lot of time in security. I, I don't think I realized the urgency around privacy, GDPR, and just cybersecurity there is. And then um, uh, I think my my interest and background led me to, to keep an eye on the latest kind of open source and developer activity around um, decentralized web, cryptocurrency. Uh, it's, it's both interesting and it seems like it's there's something there we're keeping an eye on. Mm. And you talked about scale being, you know, having a, a methodology or, or, you know, something that impressed you in that, in that respect. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about like some of the, so, like just yeah. more on that topic? Like, yeah. like how are they different in terms of their methodology or their part? Is it, is it, is it around like having search certain metrics that they want to see and being very structured in that way? Or is it more about having processes or, or something uh, in the back end? Yeah, so uh, on, on, on a simple sense, we, we fairly constrained the problem that we're, we're just going to wait until companies have validated product market fit as evidenced by customer references, mm. which is a very, like, you, once you declare that, then, then you've, like, constrained the, the <laughs> world of startups to, mm. like, um, and I, th I think that helps, uh, helps in the boil the ocean problem. There's just so much activity that... Um, yeah, constraining the problem lets you focus on and and kind of be better at a certain motion. And so we look for yeah people who are uh, going to be immediately growing in the next two quarters because they've shown that customers want this product and they have a, a way to to deliver it to them. Uh, so that's that's one thing that's interesting. I think as a as kind of a uh, Technologists, to some degree, I it means I don't get to um, invest in the earliest of ideas, uh, but but I I've I've kind of accepted the fact that that's good for now. Like I, I there's a lot out there, and yeah. I like I like the space I can work in, and then maybe the broader methodology around um, we we try and be independent thinkers and and trend focused. I think I think VCs say that, and I, I imagine that they they do it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I appreciated the way they did that here. I think in my early interviewing and interactions with the team, they were very thoughtful about you know what's going to happen with containers and serverless trends. I was keeping an eye on, mm. and uh, in since joining the team, um, it's been uh, yeah. I've, it's easy, I guess, to just be reactive. To yes. the to the inbound, to all the <laughs> excitement in the market. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And I think, um, 
there's a mentality here that like we should we should separate ourselves from that enthusiasm yeah um and and think carefully about long term where things headed and and place patient bets that seems a bit vague but yeah no a couple things are resonating i mean we we and i like to be pretty thesis driven in in our investing as well and um uh, and the thing that you said that resonates is the uh, the customer references, because you know every every pitch you know has the entrepreneur saying, well, our customers love us and they want to do more and whatnot, and it's it's really hard to gauge like when that's true. But once you get on the phone with the customer, you really get a sense because I feel like um, there's like the zero to eight level of enthusiasm, which kind of like all blends together. It's like yeah, you know, we're using it. It's like so far so good, whatnot. And then every once in a while you hit on like a nine or a 10 where people are like, I love this thing. Yeah. Or um, I, I had one customer reference on a, on a, on a, a company we invested in recently um, where the, 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 cust- the customer said it was a big, big company. Um, and they said, if, if this team can do what they've already shown they can do on a small scale, if they can do it um, you know, at, a, at a slightly larger scale, we'll give them so much work they won't be able to handle it. Yeah. And, Right away, I was like, "Okay, yeah. great, I, I gotta go. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta close this deal," um, which we did. But uh, yeah, I think that's that says volumes, right? And 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 you can get a sense from the from the call, like in the person's voice, yeah. in something that you can't you can't write down, you can't quantify necessarily. But um, but when you hear it, it it really uh, speaks volumes. Totally, and I think it's good to to remind yourself as an investor that you're not the arbiter of. True. Your your opinion isn't isn't the investing opinion. Um, I think it's easy to like hear a pitch and be like, oh, I think I would like that, or that's a good idea. That's not a good idea. <laughs> and I, by always um, delaying final judgment to the customer references, in some sense, it's I I, I keep myself in like uh, almost like the product manager's point of view, where I'm like, let's let the market decide, and I need to I need to go to the market and hear their reactions. And I, I think um, having my skill set be to understand a customer's uh, reference of a product and assess that reference being rather than my skill set being like I know what good ideas look like <laughs> uh, I think I think it's a more compelling um, belief mm. I, I think that that's a, that's a skill I can hone versus just being like the all-wise arbiter of what's interesting yeah just being able to see the future yes that's, right. that's, that's harder to do <laughs> yeah I'm gonna try and see the future and in, in and I'll lean on the market to kind of inform that as much yeah. as I can. Makes all sense. And and so uh, tell me about as, as a VC, as a career choice, given the other things you've done, what what do you like about it and what's hard about it? So the, the immediate thing I loved was the uh, intellectual freedom. Going back to my school days where I was like, I had a hard time doing homework but I could spend all night on a project that I thought was interesting. Um, I'm just intrinsically motivated to work every day. Like I wake up and this is what I want to do and this is how I want to spend all my cycles. And it's easy to just pour the, the time I've allotted to work into this because um, I think it's interesting and, uh, and that's kind of how I'm wired. So that's been super awesome. There's no more like, you know, so-and-so manager needs an email uh, once a week because she decided that was important. I don't think it's important, but I have to do it. Mm-hmm. No, I I feel um, you know, scale 
and I, and I, I think, are aligned. We just want great deals, and whatever it takes to find great deals is how I'm going to spend my time. That's awesome. Uh, probably the best part of the job. You want some downside on the so, job. Yeah, something yeah. that's hard about it or Yeah, I think what's hard. Different. So certainly there's there's this lone wolf aspect where uh, it can feel a little isolating. Um, I do find moments where I'm back on the back porch looking at my telescope <laughs> you know, in BC land where I'm like, uh, I think this is interesting, but no one else is here to appreciate this with me. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, I'm often trounced around San Francisco on my own. Mm-hmm. Um I think I I handle that better than some I imagine, but but there, you know it's it's uh that, that's one aspect. Um, I think another is is just the inherent uh, luck and kind of there's always this risk that like you'll make a wise decision that won't pan out um, and it will define your career. Mm. Uh, there's, there's this great upside that. The reverse is well is just as likely to happen, but <laughs> right. but um, the downside is a little uh, kind of hangs kind of eats at you. Mm, mm. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I think I think for me the hardest part is just the uh, like the the infinite amount of things that could be done. Yeah, and and just like I like I feel like I could have forty eight hours in my day and I would still like never get to the end of my to do list. Um, but uh, but I definitely and the lone wolf thing I don't think bothers me as much. But um, but your second point I think you know I definitely definitely resonate with. Um, I'll I'll also just add I hate yeah. I hate turning down founders. Yeah. Really like yeah. I mean I, I'm getting better at it and I'm I'm learning to make it not personal and realize that they this is part of the game. They don't, yeah. It's not a big deal. But right. but I think early on at least um, I felt like I was uh, identified with some founders and I felt like I was breaking their hearts and breaking mine. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Cool. And, um, and you're also, you're also working on an app. Uh, yeah. On, so on I, I, I'm always working on something. You're, yeah. You always um, got something in your back pocket. No, I, th- I mean, I think it's, uh, it's important to, uh, maybe this is, just, this is probably just me justifying things, <laughs> but I, I think it's important to like kind of keep my skills relevant and, um, there's always like new things I'm hearing about that I want to try in terms of like tooling. Um, but again, that's probably just justification because I think it'd be fun to, I, I, there's always new things that want to be built. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, one of the recent projects was this thing. It's actually, there's a there's a live site. You can go to docpro.app. Docpro.app? Yeah, that okay. may have not been the best URL. <laughs> I don't know, no one uses .app, but... Um, <laughs> docpro.com was taken okay. so uh, docpro.app the idea is basically um, I mean on the, on the page I called it an Uber for office work mm-hmm. but I think uh, the origin I mean it came out of my brother was really into this uh, what four hour work week book Tim Ferriss Tim Ferriss yeah, yeah Tim, right. and Tim says you should you should outsource like things that you can outsource like mm-hmm. outsource all the kind of mundane parts of your work and my brother was really into this, so he got an, an assistant, a virtual assistant. He told me to get one. Usually from from India or, or some yeah, it's, it's like outsourced that. And, yeah. and it's kind of a um, for like relative like relative to U.S. low wage knowledge worker. Yeah. Um, but the process of finding a virtual assistant isn't super easy. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like hiring someone. Right. And then you're hiring them for what for me was like, I don't know, an hour or two a week. 
and uh, so that so it's unclear how they kept busy. Anyway, um, I was like, I really just want to share to want like write up a document that summarizes what I want done, share it with this virtual worker, and then have us both like collaborate with somebody like, right. as if it was a coworker. Like pull over a desk, like I want this done and then this done, and then as they do a little bit, like uh, actually a little more of this and not that. Um, and Google Docs does this kind of out of the box for you. Right. Um, so yeah, so DocPro is basically you share your, it's not even a document you're working on, but like you describe a project in a document, share that with DocPro. We have somebody jump in and, uh, and do that work for you. And you can kind of comment in real time and collaborate with them on how you want it done. And then as soon as you either you're, you're done with the collaboration, you can kick them out of the document. Um, and we build you by the minute. That's that's the that I think that's great because I I also read that book and I for a short time I was like looking into it because I'm like yeah. hey you know this sounds like a good idea and uh, basically the idea is you know, to be able to spend more time on the things that are you know more important or um, and spend less time on the things that are urgent but like less important or yeah. you know could be can if you can outsource it you should that that's the 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 principle. But in but I remember like reading that book. I'm like, okay, give me the website. Like, what right. is <laughs> what is the service I should use? And I think the problem that like folks like Tim Ferriss have is if they say if they say the name of a service, then everyone starts using it, and either they get um, they get you know overwhelmed or they grow and the quality goes down. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I remember hearing him say like he has a policy, he doesn't say any right. specific firms anymore. He's like, just go find one. Yeah, I need and Tim to endorse DocPro. There you I'm go, just kidding. that's what you need. Um, <laughs> or, or maybe not. Um, but, uh, but but anyway, so I, I remember you know having that conundrum. I'm like, I'm interested in this, but like I don't have like an hour to, you know, or many hours to like start interviewing people and, and whatnot, so. To have like a pre-vetted group of people that uh, you know are reliable, I think right. I think uh, could be really valuable. But uh, this is you know having the Epic Human Podcast you know promote this is even better than Tim Ferriss. That's right. That's in right. some ways, who needs Tim? Because when you've got Joe. You won't be overwhelmed <laughs> with with uh, with, uh, with with business, but you'll probably get some. Um, so why don't we move to the quick fire round? Quick That's fire. cool with you. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, uh, it's like a game in, show. Inquiring minds want to know, what do you do for fun besides you know build this app and and all the fun you have at work? Uh, so I have I have this baked in fun machine at home. Uh, there's there's four of them. So I have four kids, uh, believe it or not, and. Uh, I feel like I have to explain myself every time I say that. But no, my wife and I, we got married young, we started having kids young, and then we kept having kids. I guess that's the only way you get to having four. <laughs> so maybe it doesn't need explanation. Um, but so yeah, they, they, they provide a lot of fun. They're the best. We like to go to the beach. Uh, but more personal stuff. So I, I play basketball once a week, which mm. is like a surprisingly important part of my life. Mm. Like it feels great. Good group of guys. Um, I occasionally do a little, you know, road biking, um, just because that's the thing to do around here. It seems <laughs> trying to fit in. No, uh, uh, what else? Yeah, I'll ski in the winters. That's always I've always skied most of my life growing up in Utah. Uh, I like to give the locals a hard time. I leave my gear in Utah. I went skiing once in California and it rained. 
So I, I just. Oh, you know, oh, oh, I see. I only, I only <laughs> ski on good snow. Uh, well, you don't know what bad snow is like until you've skied in the that's right. northeast. Yeah, that's right. There's, we call it ice skating up there. Certainly Tahoe's. Got no, yeah, not the worst. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And yeah, four kids. How do you do it? And how do you, like, I guess, how do you do it and then also have, like, other things like basketball, app, work yeah. development, ski, like how do you how do you have all of this? Well, so you just play basketball once a week. So that's a, <laughs> that's a start. But um, uh, my wife and I are, um, you know, we've been fairly committed to family all along. Um, at some point we decided one of us would stay home, which makes it all possible, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'm sure there's, uh, you can do it with uh, both working people do, but that's the way we've made it work. Um, and what, yeah, uh, right. I think that, so the app development just doesn't happen as much as I'd like. That's the thing that gives, Mm -hmm. um, and it it happens in fits and spurts where I get excited about something and I'll work four hours on a Saturday and then it sits for two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Just, just make it work, right? Like I, I, well, so I there, so I cut out sport like perf- like I don't watch. And it, this isn't intentional. It just kind of that was the yeah. thing that fell off the wagon. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to watch college football was like what I did on Saturdays. Yeah. I we don't even subscribe to anything that could show us TV. <laughs> right. We don't have a TV in the house. Right. Um. So yeah, a bunch of stuff fell off the fell off the plate. I guess. Totally. Uh, totally. No, I mean we're the same way. We don't have we don't have TV or cable. Um, but yeah, I, I, there are a lot of things I don't do that I used to do. Like we talked yeah. about movies, right. um, like even Netflix, like yeah. I watch more like short shows cause I normally have like, yeah, you know, right. not enough time yeah. for a whole movie. I'm like, I don't want to invest that amount of time. Right. Um, so yeah, life just, life just adapts yeah. and it, it kind of changes and it, yeah. you're able to fill the holes where, where you can. And I, I'm, a, um, I think a lot of yeah, this may be getting more into what, we don't want to, but like, um, it's okay. We I kind of have theory. I know there's, uh, uh, I feel a, 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 there's a pervasive theory among my peers that, um, that you should, you, you kind of have to invest in your career early on. And then once that stabilizes, there's time for family. Mm. And I, I agree with the fact that like, um, you can't have it all really. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so there's going to be a time in my life where I can enjoy some of those things again. You know, once once things slow down at home. But right now, it's it's uh, family and work and um, yeah. So, but but that theory you're saying you're saying is uh, that theory you're saying is is pervasive, but it's not what you believe. Yeah, I right. mean, it's certain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because yeah, I, because I, I agree with you. I, I think that is a, a common thing. Um, here, the, maybe the broader theory is that uh, there's this time value money. There's a time value to money we, that's well understood. Like, um, if you have hundred dollars now, it's worth more than hundred dollars later because it can accrue. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with careers. That like, if you invest an hour of time earlier in your career, it may be better than investing it later in your career because uh, you'll advance your career faster early, which will pay dividends kind of over the course of your career. So I think a lot of people are like, I gotta, I gotta burn the candle by both ends early in my career so I can advance it as quickly as possible 
and and then kind of enjoy the the kind of um, proceeds of that early investment. But I think it's also basically true of everything, including family. Like I think there's some uh, there's a time value of family. Like like I think in time that I invest in my kids now will pay dividends later in life, and. Uh, and so I think there's a cost to maybe I don't know if cost is the right word, but rather than look at the negative side, there's a cost of delaying it. I think there's some benefit to mm-hmm. to investing that equally alongside my career earlier in my life. Uh, that's that's the bet I'm making at least. No man, I, I totally uh, agree. It's uh, it, it, I, I I the way I describe it is there's no good time to have kids. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> right? that's it's the like, way to put it. It's like you can you can try to to hack it and like and and create this perfect scenario, but I've never really seen it you know work perfectly. Yeah. Like there are costs and benefits to both sides. I mean, if you wait if you wait longer, sure maybe you have a little bit more cash or maybe a little bit more developed of a career, but. Um, you know, of course, biologically, you know, it's harder for women to get pregnant later and, and whatnot. And so then there's IVF and fertility yeah. treatments and whatnot. So, you know, there there is that that balance. And I also believe, like, as a parent, like the one benefit of being a parent is I am I am the most efficient I have ever been in my life. Yeah. Because if I have you know a certain number of hours at work, you better believe I am busting my buns that yeah. entire time. Yeah. Like, like I don't stop to watch a YouTube video or you know or or yeah. you know chit chat chit chat or whatever yeah read the news yeah, yeah. goodness um, I am just like a hundred percent dedicated to that. and then when I go home a hundred percent dedicated yeah. to, to to being at home but I might get as much done at, as I would have if I'd been at work you know an extra fifty percent that yeah. day and and then of course again I'm like I'm not watching like two hours of TV or, or yeah. movies like I used to when I get home. So um, I feel like there's a there's a kind of hidden benefit of, of, of not having as much time. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. And I think there, there may be a society, like there may be a societal concern with the kind of theory I presented before taking to the extreme where I think a lot, I think some people feel like the bulk of their career should happen before family. And they, they almost kind of go into like, uh, really successful people, I think, kind of go into like semi-retirement, almost like I'm gonna wind down my my board ships and maybe kind of step away from the company a little bit because I'm gonna go have family or kids, and and I think that makes it hard for a world where we want to be more inclusive of those, you know, if um, yeah, I think I think if if you uh, um, yeah, like. What, what am I trying to say? Like, particularly if we want to get women to have a more active role in the workplace, I think mm-hmm. if they, if, if um, they, uh, I, have, having a family may be more disruptive to careers. And I think mm-hmm. if, if the sentiment is you kind of have to delay family mm-hmm. in order to have a career, I think that's problematic right. for broader gender diversity in the workplace. Right. Where I think, uh, if we kind of embrace the idea that there's value in investing in family earlier and you can have careers alongside family, I think that makes uh, it easier at least to have a more diverse workplace. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That makes a lot of sense. Cool, well, I mean, the next question I was gonna ask you, which I prepared you for, was uh, what do you believe that some people don't? Um, you may have just answered it. Maybe. Um, but if you, want, if, I... if you want to take another stab at it, you can. Um, otherwise, we could just go to the next one. Well, 
this is uh, I'll, I'll take a stab, and I don't know sure. if this is all that profound. Maybe everyone believes it, but I, uh, I think you, I think we can learn things faster than we think we can. Mm. And there's this law of diminishing returns, I guess it's called, right? So if you, uh, what's a good? If you mow the lawn, you know, you take one pass at mowing the lawn, it looks a lot better than it did before. If you take a second pass at mowing the lawn, it looks a little bit better. Um, but the third pass, you're kind of wasting your time. Like, yeah. The lawn looks really good at this point. Okay. Fourth and fifth pass don't really help. Uh, and I think learning kind of follows a similar curve where, like, hmm. um, if you, like, spend a good four hours learning economics, you can, um, you can, like, learn all the key terms. You can, like, understand some major ideas. Uh, like, a solid YouTube video will get you pretty far. Hmm. The next four hours are going to be less efficient in terms of like steps, you know, big steps forward, and the next four hours less efficient, less efficient. Such that I think we often think that like experts are are so good, like we'll never catch them. Mm. Um, but the the truth is that like you can learn faster, you can advance along their trajectory faster than they can because mm. you're further behind. Oh, interesting. Like um, your your next four hours of research are going to be more productive than their four hours. Such that I, I kind of have this theory that like, um, yeah, like I, I can I can get spun up on a, on something fairly like meaningfully well in a relatively short amount of time. Hmm. Uh, and I, anyway, that, so that's a, that, Whereas I think I face this a lot in in my work where I run into people like, oh, I don't really know that subject. Like, I not my thing I don't know, yeah I don't yeah. Really understand machine learning whatever right. insert thing here right politics I don't know blockchain yeah blockchain yeah <laughs> and and part of me is like well that you could though uh, you realize that like in fact in fact you would you would be the most efficient because mm. you're so kind of you think you're so far away that you're like your three hours are going to be super productive yeah uh, that's interesting um, I imagine that mindset is pretty handy in venture and what you're doing yeah I may have just convinced myself of it to motivate hey, myself that's self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> maybe it's, that's, hey, good. It's that's all, a good thing yeah um, but do you also use it like in your personal life or like you know if you're just interested in something uh, or have you yeah I mean I, this is like uh, you know like one of the apps I wanted to build I, I'm I like um, this is a bad example probably but yeah, I think there's certainly other topics I find interesting. Um, uh, I was about to talk about nutrition, but I don't really think I've learned all the, uh, what's a good, uh, like philosophy has always kind of been something interesting to me, but I've never studied. Mm. And I always felt like I couldn't really comment on it without knowing like the, how people talk about it. <laughs> like, like, it seems silly to like kind of pontificate on matters that I've, spent no time um and uh so yeah i i, I watched a, a course online um or, or rather listened to it on my commute lately mm -hmm. and then i checked out a couple books and now i feel like i'm i don't know in a place where i can uh make a contribution mm -hmm. to a discussion yeah to, to a line of thinking that's interesting that um the thing that comes to mind to me for me is uh history like i've always yeah, struggled yeah, with history yeah, or yeah. like not found it interesting um, just because I think the way it's taught in school, it's like, okay, memorize these dates. Right. Who is this person? You know, whatnot. Whereas, um, have you heard of the podcast called Hardcore History with Dan, Dan Carlin? 
I've heard of it. I haven't listened it to it. It is an incredible podcast, and he has like seven part series on ancient Rome. Okay, you know, or like a, a six part series on um, uh, Genghis Khan. Okay, and I listen to that because it's entertaining, right? But then I come away and I'm like, I know about that. Yeah, <laughs> I finally know when the Assyrian. <clears throat> Revolution was yeah. whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah, and I'm still not great about memorizing dates, but right. I, I can memorize like images or like interesting stories and yeah. things like that. Um, and uh, that I, I find that's a handy way of consuming information, kind of on the go, right? But uh, but no, that's a, that's an interesting theory. <clears throat> um, and so, what advice? This is a new question. Yeah, what advice would you give to? A young person, let's say they're in college or you know pre-college or not in college, uh, or they're just like in their early part of their career. What advice would generalized type of advice would you give them on kind of building a career, forging their way? Well, uh, so here's a here's one piece of advice. May not be the best, but we'll start here. I, I'm fairly disappointed with, um, again, there's kind of there's this pervasive idea in workplaces that you should become well-rounded. Uh, like you'll go to like a performance review is kind of seemingly structured around this idea. But like, <laughs> let's talk about what you're good at. Like these are the things you excelled. Here's where you didn't excel. In order for you to like advance or get to the next level, you need to like kind of warm up these. Like they never say like, forget about the fact that you don't return emails. Let's talk about like, <laughs> how you are awesome public speaker. Let's just double down on that. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen in yeah. these meetings. But, um, but I think it should basically. Like mm. that's my, like I would, uh, we, we don't talk about Steve's jobs, like you know, ability to manipulate numbers. Like that's just not something that you hear people talk about. Right, right. Um, but he may he could have decided when he was 24 like ah, you know my finance is not great I'm gonna spend some time with the finance department which which would I like, do really well on a performance review like look I spent the last six months with finance I like understand the way they're thinking I deserve this promotion but no like I think you uh, what the world wants is expertise well I, not the world like the market like yeah. what um, what the market will reward you for is is like an unusual amount an, an unusual capacity. Mm-hmm. In some regard, and you need a certain baseline in other places to function and to not like drop the balls and and so, and so I think you want to be well rounded in your ability to function with other people, but then um, you just want to like hammer home this like one thing in some like that that if you want to maximize your kind of uh, ability to impact a market or uh, personal return, I would I would think. Mm. Uh, to find your niche and exploit it is, yeah. is one way of approaching a career. Yeah, that's interesting too, because because you're kind of describing it like functionally. Yeah, which yeah. I which I agree with. Um, but I would say it's also like industry knowledge. Yeah, sure. Like, yeah. And and I find <clears throat> I see this sometimes um, as a VC is like someone comes and pick a random industry, and you've got this person um, where where she or he has spent their entire career in it. Yeah. And knows it backwards and forwards. Yeah. And I know next to nothing about that industry, um, and so, someone who is maybe giving them bad advice could have said, "Hey, this is kind of a small industry. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get pigeonholed or right. whatnot." 
But then when they turn around and want to start a company to change that industry, yeah. like there's no one better qualified yeah. than that person. So, um, so that, that's a good one. So slight modification on the question. Yeah. Slight modification, or maybe you have something to no, say on that. No, that's it. Slight modification on that question. What did, like if you could go back and give your 23 year old self some advice, what would it be? Uh, some variation of maybe two things, like a bit of trust your gut and take more risks. Mm. Uh, I think um, if, if it hasn't become apparent, I at least fancy myself as like an idea person. I like <laughs> to, I get excited about ideas. Maybe they're not good ideas, but I get excited. It's, it's nonetheless a source of motivation for me. <laughs> and uh, that, yeah, I've been in a situation where I'm like, X should happen. Like someone should do X. And, um, or I, I could do X. Uh, and I think I would kind of sit on that idea for a while and I'd be, I'd be busy with the homework or whatever responsibilities I have in life. I have a real disdain for homework, <laughs> and, and apparently. Have I mentioned? Yeah. Have I mentioned? Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but I think I, I would I should have taken a couple more of those risks early on, mm. um, and and or at least followed followed my gut. At least you know, we're all impressed by people who who kind of take the reins and make something happen, uh, even if it's even if it doesn't really like go anywhere. Or, doesn't amount to much, but that, uh, yeah, the, uh, I think we all have a sense for what needs to be get, so, so, so that's, that's in the grand scale, like, <clears throat> go do something, but even like in a meeting, like, I, I, so often I've been in meetings where I'm like, you know, this doesn't seem, this idea doesn't seem like a great idea, maybe for this reason, and I think it's my own thoughts, and then like two minutes later, someone's like, hey, why are we doing that, and I'll be like, yeah, that's what I was thinking, but, but I feel like, uh, it's not about who gets credit so much, but my unwill- there are meetings where no one says anything, and I think my my unwillingness to kind of trust my gut, take a risk, throw my idea out there, mm. I, I limited the contributions I made, um, the like amount of trust that people have in me, um, and, and like my personal satisfaction. I think being uh, fearful but secretly right is not as fun or as, maybe as interesting <laughs> as being kind of like. A little bit wrong, but right. but having done it or right. something maybe and fail and surprisingly sometimes failure isn't as painful as you think it's going to be. Yeah, like the right. fear of it is yes. worse than the actual experience. I that was my experience when I you know started that company in business yeah, school yeah. and 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 my my worst nightmare was it failing and then when ultimately when I shut it down, it was like silence like nothing happens right. like i'm like wait wh- wh- where's the group of people that's going to come in and beat me up yeah. oh yeah that's that doesn't happen and and to the contrary people like you said um you know people are impressed when you try something even if you fail yeah. um so and yeah. I, yeah and i think it engenders trust in somebody like they can be a leader if they like they notice this thing same thing as i did and they they spoke up about it sooner and they advanced it quicker mm. it's like that's someone i want to follow think mm. yeah it's good advice um, how can people follow you how can people if if people like you as much as I do how can they follow you uh, whether online or it's or how can they oh, follow scale yeah um, how can people yeah. be my commute is uh, no, no sorry that's a bad joke <laughs> just tail me home uh, <laughs> give your license plate number <laughs> that's right 
Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter occasionally. At uh, Eric Anderson is a hard name in this kind of global digital world. Oh, oh, like there's a million of us. There's too many. Yeah. Anyway, so you can find me at Eric M Ander Anders. Eric Manders, I think it is. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm on Twitter a bit. Uh, I'm trying to blog more. Oh. See if that happens. What's your blog? How do I get uh, your blog? I, it's on Medium and then um, okay. with Scale. Okay. Okay. Cool. And uh, I, I just like I like meeting people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd probably be open to, to talking to to people. And, cool. And so yeah, I guess hit me up on Twitter. All right. Well, that that's uh, I'm sure people will. Well, Eric, uh, just want to thank you for your time and, and for sharing your thoughts and, and ideas and, and neat contrarian opinions on things. And, uh, and it's fun to get to know you a little bit better. I've known you for a long time, but it's it's always fun to go like one level deeper. So thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, uh, thank you, Joe. This has been therapeutic. If anything else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed. It. I'm sure other people did as well. So thanks again, and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Epic Human Podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever app you happen to be using. And if you want to keep up to date on the latest Epic Human Podcast, please follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Epic Human Pod. And if you have any ideas for guests or feedback on the show, please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.